Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Everybody wants to work somewhere where they're part of something bigger than themselves, where there's purpose. And so your ability to evangelize that and get people to join your cause is life or death when it comes to a startup. And it's really important when you get to a large size and magnitude like these Fortune 500 companies as well. Whether it needs to sit in marketing or not is kind of besides the point. What we need is more of a marketing lens around attracting people into our company and helping them see what that bigger purpose is that they can be a part of and take it to the next level. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. I'm here with Oz. He's not entirely a marketer, but I think recruiting is marketing. He will go down there. So, But he doesn't have technically marketing in his resume, so we'll talk about that more. But Oz, I want you to give a little background of who you are how you think about marketing, and we'll go into the topic of the day. So my name is Oz Rashid. I'm the founder and CEO of MSH. Uh, MSH has three businesses around recruitment, consulting, and software. Really, you know, the, the way I would describe my life's mission, what I'm doing is building a movement to disrupt all things hiring by really revolutionizing talent acquisition and the way that we consume it, the way we see it, the way we feel about it, the way we, we do it. And I really believe that's because the standards of the past have not been changed very much over time and we're in a very different market. And so I think this is way too important of a topic not to put a lot more thought and time into and really rethink what we're doing in that space. So that's that's kind of a little bit about me. I want to go into the topic. So you have a hot take that recruiting should sit in the marketing org. I have a counter to that, but I don't think it's quite different. But could you go down the rabbit hole of why you think this? I got to be honest, it's a little bit self-serving. And here's why. I've worked with a lot of corporate Fortune 500 organizations, startups, everything in between. I, I worked myself at one of those companies and I always looked at marketing with a little bit of envy, right? Marketing had all the resources. They were bringing in all the agencies. There was a lot of visibility up to the CEO. Um, many times you see CMOs moving up into that, that big chair, that CEO chair, um, because many companies are driven by their marketing. And so I've always been in, I started my career in technology, but eventually moved into the recruitment and talent acquisition space. And my thought was everything I'm doing in talent acquisition from a strategic perspective centers around a lot of the core fundamentals of marketing. If you think about when you have a, a role that you want to hire for, essentially you're going out to the market and the community and marketing your company, your hiring manager, your role, so that people are enticed to want to apply and go through the interview process and see if that's somewhere where they want to spend their career. And then once you have that great candidate, you're essentially building marketing around who they are and why they're a fit to get people to say, you know what, I want to interview this person and eventually hire them. So I just think that there's a lot of fundamentals to marketing, including you know the way we put our job descriptions together, the way that we convey about our company and give a realistic job preview. And I also think that the amount of resources that are given to the, the talent acquisition space isn't what it should be. And I think a lot of that is because you know, over time, HR has been seen as a governance and compliance function, right? I think a lot of businesses have transformed and changed this kind of old uh, thought process, but I think a lot of them still are rooted in kind of hand slapping and, and, and compliance and employee relations. 
And so when you think about that, yes, of course, you're involving humans in recruitment. But really what you're doing is marketing. And if we could get the same level of resources that the lifetime value of a customer or the cost of acquisition of a customer and start to look at lifetime value of an employee and cost of acquisition of employee and get those same level of resources and visibility, I think it would be the betterment of all companies' bottom lines. And so that's kind of why I think you know, recruitment should sit in the marketing space because I think fundamentally it has a lot of the core principles. One thing about that, I think, I think companies, a lot of companies forget technically as a company, you have two customers. You have your like end customer and then like your employees when you're a business owner are your customer. Like they, you're supposed to serve them as well and give them a great experience. And they become your biggest advocates in the market. They're the ones who's going to talk about you. And that starts from the minute you put out that job description, how does I convey your brand? How does I convey your culture to the minute they get on that screening call with the, the first person to the hiring manager, all the way to like the onboarding process. And all these need to be set in a marketing lens because what happens a lot of the times is that people forget that marketing is the whole company. The whole company is marketing. And every touch point is marketing. And if you're if marketing is not involved in or isn't part of the process of the job description, all that stuff, then there's a disconnect of what the brand values are supposed to be. And I think you can't expect a lot of HR people who haven't like been in a marketing role to do all that for themselves. So either my take on the recruiting and stuff like that is like I think there should be a designated like head of recruiting marketing or head of HR marketing or something like that, where they sit on the marketing team, they get resources, but they help. Because also, I think we talked about this in our previous podcast is the people of what make the, the marketing team great, the people who make the company great, the people who make... So if you're not bringing on the best people and you're not putting out the best marketing out there to bring in the best people, you're not going going to win as a company. I totally agree. And listen, as the founder of this company in 2011, that's helped, you know, obviously try to lead the vision of it growing to the size it has. I've had to be marketing from a specifics from day one, right? As I wanted to get the first employee in the door, the second employee. And, and I think it's really important that you have an external brand that is aligned with your internal brand. And we talk about, we have something written up on the board here where employees come first, customers come second. Because Richard Branson has said this, right? If you treat your employees well, then they're going to treat your customers well. And so to me, Everybody wants to work somewhere where they're part of something bigger than themselves, where there's purpose. And so your ability to evangelize that and get people to join your cause is life or death when it comes to a startup. And it's really important when you get to a large size and magnitude like these Fortune 500 companies as well. Whether it needs to sit in marketing or not is kind of besides the point. What we need is more of a marketing lens around attracting people into our company and helping them see what that bigger purpose is that they can be a part of and take it to the next level. So I, I agree with you, either whether we have marketing people sitting in HR and supporting the recruitment and talent acquisition function, or we hire marketers to be part of that function so they take that lens. I just think that the, the best organizations that bring in the best talent do an amazing job of marketing why you should work here. Think about it, like Amazon, Google, right? How have we, you know, and a lot of the things that they do around benefits and things like that, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of hokey, ping pong tables, free lunches, stuff like that. Those things are starting to go away a little bit, but what are they really doing there? They're marketing and saying, we take care of our employees here. We invest in you here. You don't have to worry about some of the other things that you worry about other companies. And thus, you should take your talent 
to our organization. And so I think fundamentally, you're right. That lens is the key, whether it sits in marketing or it sits in HR. I saw a TikTok once, and I think it was the founder of HubSpot said this, but he was like talking about different types of debt in your company. I don't know if you heard it, but he was like talking about you can have technical debt where you can you have a bunch of code, it's all messed up, and you have to rebuild it, and you can find the bugs and go rebuild it. Um, you can have financial debt where you can go like find like the financial, go back and find all the problems in the financial debt. There was one other that I forgot, but the one that stuck to me is like that is the hardest to solve because you never find the root cause of it is culture debt. And the problem with that is that if you hire someone and they're a bad hire, it's just like a downward spiral of infecting. So that's why it's like so important to like set the tone of like what your company stands for, what the recruiting process stands for have the values that align to what your brand is up front to avoid that. And if you hire a bad culture debt, like people could then come out because like when HR comes up with those values or the CEO comes up with the values, those are marketing tools, but they also like, Hey, this is what we stand for. And if you're, if that person doesn't align to what we stand for as a business, you don't want that culture debt, especially in a big company because Managers hire managers, hire managers, and then it gets this debt spiral debt, and they have reports, and all the toxicity just gets through the org. So I think it's better to start early with the process of like coming up with a plan to have those values. And I think marketing starts before even doing this recruiting thing. It's like coming up with how does our brand today that we come up with as a marketing team, as a company. How does that align to the, the recruiting team? How can we hire people that align to these values so we don't two, three years down the line screw up our organization with that culture? Yeah, and listen, so Darmesh, the, the CEO of HubSpot, he's, he has a lot of great things. He's built an amazing culture at that company. There's a lot of books and white papers written on it. I saw a, a LinkedIn or TikTok yesterday where he was talking, comparing a startup to raising a child. And it really resonated with me because I got four children, but 100% correct on the cultural debt and the aspect of that. I think there's a couple of keys there. One is marketing is really about when you're trying to attract people to come to your company, right? Just like if you're a consumer of a product, right? If we talk about Coca-Cola and how great it tastes and how refreshing it is, and then you click open that can and drink it, and all of a sudden you're like, this tastes like sludge or this isn't very good at all, you're probably not going to buy that product again. Same thing when you're bringing employees into your company, right? If at the end of the day, you are just only marketing and then you're marketing when they're actually at your company only and not living and walking the talk of what you're, you're actually putting out into the world, people figure that out and you'll have attrition. So I think it's important to convey what you really are, good and bad, and make sure you're bringing in those right fits of people. And then to your point about you know, a bad apple or what that can do and what that can turn into, you know, in, in big organizations, I look at it like gremlins where they like multiply to a degree. And you and I talked about, you played uh, sports in, in college, right? I think you've probably been on teams where it seemed like everybody was pulling in the same direction and everybody had kind of the same goal and the same mission. And that made it much more likely to have success. Whereas if you have somebody who's in it for themselves, in it for their statistics, in a prima donna, that can catapult a very great prospective season, right? And so I think it's the same thing as a company. What's funny is you get to see it because I've been in an organization that had three people and then had 10 people, and then 50 people, and 100 people, and 250 people, and whatever it may be. But you notice 
incrementally, right? One person can really disrupt all different sizes of those companies, right? Because you spend a lot of time being like, why is that person being such a jerk? Or why did that person not meet this deliverable? Or why is that person talking to other people that way in a meeting? And eventually that becomes what you start talking about and then thinking about as a leader rather than strategy and the business and how to move things forward. So I totally agree. There's cultural debt. And what happens is if you bring in one bad person and you don't root them out, then they're going to continue to hire more people probably like themselves and you're going to have a much bigger problem on your hand. And that's, again, marketing, effective marketing, a lot of time comes down to simplicity and having like the core proteins, uh, I like to say, in terms of what you are about and conveying that all the time. And so if you do that, it becomes a lot easier to root out those bad fits sooner than later because we all make bad hires from time to time. The key is, do you have an environment that doesn't tolerate it, right? Culture is what you celebrate and what you tolerate. And if you tolerate people that aren't the right fits and don't fit kind of those core values of your company, then you're destined to have more people come into your organization like that. And then you turn around and look back a year later and your culture is completely messed up. The people you hire are marketing tools for yourself. And a lot of like the best hires that you're going to make aren't looking for a job. So if you create an organization of just great people and portray that online with personal brands or or having a social profile of this or marketing, not technically marketing, but just showing your culture publicly, that's going to attract people who might have not been looking for a job to come to work for your organization. For example, like back in the day, like Drift, if I saw Drift marketing, like I saw Drift having like DG, David Cancel, all these people who are projecting great profile, they look like great marketers and everything like that. And I, as a marketer, was like, oh, I want to go work for an organization like that, even though I wasn't even looking. And then also on the flip side is when I was working at Service Titan, not because I was the greatest marketer, but just because I had a personal brand, a lot of people wanted to come work on the Service Titan marketing team because I publicly had a profile marketing myself, not even talking about Service Titan, but just because I was part of the organization, talking, sharing knowledge, people wanted to be part of the organization. So there's so many different layers of this from like, and we could talk about that a little bit more, but from what you put on your website to what you put uh, publicly to the people you hire to, are they being evangelists in public? Are they posting online? Are you encouraging them to create personal brands? Like, do you trust your employees? All those things are, are marketing tools that we forget and they should, marketing should have a seat at the table to be like, hey, let me help you build your personal brand or let me help you work this copy to make this better for for potential hires or let me make that deck that you're showing to new hires fit our brand. I think there's like so many disconnects between those two. Some orgs nail it, most orgs don't nail it. So I want to go into your perspective of like, what are some things that marketers can help HR recruiting today and what are some tools that you seem work effectively? So the number one buying activity is proof of somebody you trust telling you, right? So if it's, this is the best service I've ever used, you are 10 times more likely to use that service yourself. 
if somebody says this is the best drink I've ever had and it's somebody you trust and find credible, you will most likely try that drink. And if you work at a company that the person says this place is the best, the culture is amazing, they develop me, they pay me well, they do all these great things, you are way more likely to want to go work at that company. So I totally agree with you. Our people that we hire are essentially brand representatives, both in bad and good. If they're saying bad things, that's not going to go well for your, your brand overall into the community. And if they're saying great things, you're more likely to acquire more talent like that because people will trust them. And I actually think that's one of the forms of marketing that is super underrated um, because if I'm working with a company or going through an interview process with a company and I have a bad experience, then I'm less likely to recommend a friend to work there. I'm less likely to ever want to take a job there. And I'm also less likely to use their products and services. And so we don't think about that when we post jobs online or read Glassdoor and things like that. So I think that's a really important thing. So that's one aspect. Second aspect is you talked about passive candidates. And I totally agree with you on that. I started my career in technology and hiring. And that's kind of how I fell into this. But eventually, I got into executive search. And what I was doing was recruiting passive candidates, people who were sitting there didn't have any thought about leaving their current company. But I also just looked at that and said, they didn't. They don't know about this great opportunity I have that's going to be the best fit for them. And so I made some assumptions going in and I made sure to understand what their motivations were. And then I marketed to those motivations if my company aligned with that and what I was looking for. So I totally agree with you. If you want to get best in class passive talent that's not actively looking for work, you have to be able to have, take a marketing lean to that. Finally, I'll go to what you said about how marketing can kind of support these HR initiatives. So we got a great brand marketing manager and Jackie at MSH. It's funny because when we hire people, and we hire a lot of people fresh out of college, one of the first things they do in their onboarding is we talk about, we want to help you develop a personal brand. We love that you're part of our organization, but we don't want this to be a faceless organization because at the end of the day, the people we work with, whether it be candidates or whether it be our customers, are working with other people, individuals. They're buying you in a lot of respects. And so we actually sit down and work with our team. What do you want your personal brand to be? What do you want to communicate? And we actually push them to post and to help them build out that brand because we know that that's going to benefit the company. And sure, they can take that with them. Maybe they get so big and have a great personal brand and they go and do their own thing. That's great because we're going to continue to cultivate that mentality of, of, of pushing up our individuals to build their own personal brand because it benefits the company while they're here and it benefits them when they leave, which means we're investing in them not just for our own ends, but for their ends too. And people value that. People care about that. And you know what they do? They tell their friends about that and then they want to come work at your company. So there's that. There's redoing the job description, right? Not just making it some skills box that says we need 10 years of digital marketing and X, Y, Z. It's here's why you work here. Here's what you get when you work here. Here's what you learn when you work here. Here's what success looks like. That's a marketing tool, right? So I think there's a whole bunch of different ways that we've, we've tried to go about doing this. Your website, your personal branding, your LinkedIn. You'd be naive to think that if somebody's wanting to work at your company, they're not looking at all those sources to get an idea of if this is where they want to spend their career. And so you better have that stuff on point. And yeah, we have our marketing team working closely with our team members to make sure that we're building that brand that we're conveying externally and internally. One of the best advices I've ever got was always take a job interview, like even if you're working the place. And I just want to tell people on this podcast who are listening that because you may think you're in your dream job, but there could be your actual dream job out there, or you may be in an okay, a great position, but like the next jump could be a great position. And even if you've been there for a year, like two years, whatever, there's always a, an opportunity out there that could be great for you. So it doesn't ever hurt to take a job interview. And I've always like 
treasure that advice because I think one of the one of the things that I always tell people, and now I can say this because I'm not like in a big company, but I always say that like there's two types of experience out there. There's hey, I've worked ten years at a company that's ex- could be seen as experience, but I think experience also comes from seeing a lot of different things like seeing different mar- how marketing teams work, seeing different industries work, seeing. And I think the best experience I've gotten was from working at different marketing orgs and seeing, okay, this marketing org functions like this, taking what's good in that org and bringing it to the next org. Like this is what great in this org and this is what's great in this org and taking it to the next org. I think when you work, and I'm not dogging people who work, I think that's great to work at a company and build yourself up because this exponential opportunity to do that. But I also think that people need to see experience in two different ways. Experience comes from also seeing a lot of different things. It's not only that you've worked five years at a company. So kind of a pitch for people who are looking for a job for what you do, but that's also like how I honestly view it because I think it's just like seeing the world, like you can live in a, you're the same city for the rest for like 10 years, or you can go travel and see a bunch of cities, or you can move around in different cities. You get so many different perspectives from doing that, that can change like the outlook of who you are as a marketer or whatever position you're in. I couldn't agree more. I think it's great advice. And I would tell this to all early in career talent. This is one of my core philosophies, get reps and gather insights. That's always a good thing. My wife is going to kill me, but I'm going to use this analogy. I was in college, right? And when I was in college, I used to go on a bunch of dates. I would date everybody from the valedictorian to somebody that just got out of rehab and everything in between. And the reason I was doing that, I didn't think I wanted to get married at 22 or 23 years old, but there's a couple of things. One, I wanted to make sure that I was getting reps and going out so that when I eventually did meet the person that I eventually want to spend the rest of my life with, I knew what I was doing. But I was also learning about myself and learning about what was out there. What moves me? What motivates me? What what do I like? What do I not like? What are deal breakers for me? And so I feel like I did all that in my 20s when I got to the point where I finally met the person that I really liked. I was like, oh, I know what to do and I know myself. And I think that's led to better decision making. And I totally agree with it on the job market too. As an employer of, of many, many people, I don't necessarily want them to go run out the door and start interviewing a bunch, but if they feel that itch or if they want to learn what's out there, I would welcome them to say, go ahead and check it out and see what's out there. Now, I feel like we've built an environment and the stability and security and development where you're going to feel very valued, but I'm not afraid of what else is out there. If there's something that's a better fit for you, I think it's incumbent upon you to go search that out. And so I agree with you. Take those interviews, get those reps. You never know what you might learn, what's out there. You might learn something about yourself that's really going to help you. And most importantly, you're getting reps. And so when you get into the moment where it is really something you need desperately or you want really bad, you're in a better position to be able to perform at the level you want to. So I totally agree with that philosophy. I'm going to flip the conversation a little bit and ask you, like, since we're talking about being in the job market and stuff like that, how, how if I was a candidate, either in a company or something, how, what's the best way for me to stand out and market myself to get a job, especially when the market's tough right now? How, how am I supposed to show that I am the best candidate for for that. So there's a lot of different things you can do both before process and when you get involved in the process. So the first thing I would do is I would say, don't wait until you're looking. Don't wait until you get laid off. You should always be thinking about your marketability, who you are, what your professional profile is, and what you want to achieve 
even if you're in a job that you love and you never see yourself leaving. Because the minute you're starting to do things because you have to from a timing perspective is when you start to make poor decisions. So my advice to people at any point in their career, whether they're happy or unhappy in their role is number one, everything that's out there about you is open game. So you better make sure that you feel good about what you're putting out into the world on all forms of social, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, okay? Be aware. That doesn't mean you have to. You can't be yourself, but be aware what you're putting out there potentially be looked at by prospective employers and make sure you're okay with that. Maybe you are okay with that. Take me as I am. That's okay, but just be cognizant of that. Next, LinkedIn is something they're definitely going to look at. They're going to look at how you present yourself, what you look like in your picture, the objectives that you have in terms of your career and what your experience is. So I would really look at that and, and spend a lot of time on my profile. What is it that matters to me? What is the work I'm doing? What are the things that I want to be involved in, right? Follow those groups, do those things and manicure your profile in a way that exudes what your identity is as a professional, not necessarily what you do on the weekends or things like that. Who am I as a professional and how do I want to be identified? Understand those qualities and build your profile around that. So that's the first aspect of what I would say. The next thing I would do is I would know a few people in the talent acquisition and recruitment industry, the ones that work for external partners that you know are trustworthy and credible and work with a lot of the best companies. Because when you are looking, right, if you need somebody to do good by you or they might have an opportunity for you, it's always good to have people that you're not just meeting for the first time. They're people that you've built relationships with and invested in. That'll always help you. Additionally, most of the people who get the jobs that they love come from what we talked about a little bit earlier, people they already know. So be open about networking in your community, right? If you are in merchandising, try to find who else is in merchandising in your area and spend time with them, right? Um, if you know companies that you want to work at eventually that you aspire to work at, make connections with people there, right? Build a little bit of an understanding and, and also find out and test your theories on what you think about these companies, whether you like them or not. And then the last thing I would say is if you, you see a position online that you like, you can apply, Okay, but everybody else is doing that. And you go into a black hole and the, some, most of the technologies out there doesn't do a very good job of rooting out the best fit for jobs in the first place. So what I would do is I'd be way more targeted. I would say, this is the job I want or this is the company I want. I would try to go look for the hiring manager. I would try to go look for the talent acquisition or HR person and say, I wanted to reach out directly because this is my dream company or this is my dream role. I'm super interested in it. Here's why I think I'm qualified. I just wanted to make sure you saw this profile and then try to find out what their email is or send them a message on LinkedIn and build a more direct connection. If you're doing things that others will not do or, or, or don't think to do, you're going to stand out. And the key in this is peacocking in the right way. How do you stand out in a way that's very positive rather than disruptive? And that's how you're going to be able to get the opportunities you want. And I think I'll add one more thing to it. Know yourself, right? Think about the jobs you've had and think about what you enjoyed about them, right? This company had a very collaborative work style and environment, or I really enjoyed being a manager, or you know what? I really just like to be on my computer coding and I don't want to interact with a bunch of people. Know what those core things about you that make you feel good, that make you feel valued, what benefits matter to you, what flexibility matters for you, and then go pursue that and chase that and go find that. You got to know yourself before you can go get what you want in this world. And that is the same thing with jobs and companies that you want to work at. People like misconstrue what personal brand is. Personal brand has always been just showing up, doing a great job at work, and that's your reputation. And the more people who see that in previous roles or other roles and the, the network you, you build up over time is one of the best ways to get jobs in the future. So 
the people you meet in your first job, your second job, whatever job you're in, like you need to start building those relationships now because even if it's not for a job, you need that network to ask you questions as a marketer or something in the future. And I think the second point is that my brother just did this for a job. He didn't even DM the hiring manager, but like he was looking for a new role. He DM'd like another sales rep on the team because he's in sales and said, Hey, I saw like your your content online. It really resonated with me as like a seller. Like I wanna I saw this job opening, like I really want to apply for your role. Like, would you mind introducing me to the hiring manager? And the guy was like, No problem. And I think like he applied to like 20 other roles and that was like the one role that got back to him because he went out of his way to dm someone on linkedin to get through like the open doors and also like people forget that most companies have like referral bonuses for employees Mm -hmm. so they're incentivized to refer you if they think you're very good so if you they think you're good and you come off good and they have a call with you and you they're more likely to refer you to the hiring manager because they benefit, you benefit. So one win. So I think those two things of doing things that other people are doing and also like just do great things in the role that you're doing because in network while you're at a, 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 your current role because that network builds as you grow in your career. So a couple of things stand out about your follow-up there. So number one, talking about personal brand. I'm going to be honest with you, all right? I've only started going on LinkedIn and TikTok and and doing posts over the last eight months. And one of the reasons I, I did it was, number one, I wanted to drive the company forward. We're doing all these exciting things. I wanted people to know about it. But I was always a little bit uncomfortable with it because I've always been somebody that wanted to be doing well, not showing well. And I almost felt like it was inauthentic for me to like focus on not doing work to go say what's going on in the work I'm doing, right? But there was a disconnect there for me that I didn't fully realize until now. And this is very important to what you said. Number one, it's got to start with the base. You've got to be really doing the things that you're saying. You got to, the things that you care about and you say you care about, you better be living that in that in that world because long enough timeline, that's going to get found out. Okay. But once you're doing those things that are important to you, that make you who you are and your identity, going and talking about that and putting that under the world and sharing thought, leadership, or opinions and ideas around those things. That becomes your personal brand. How you convey what you do in your role and the impact you have, that becomes your personal brand. And so a personal brand, yes, do the work, but also take the time to think about what am I doing and how can I convey it to the world so that they have an understanding of what's important to me. Not look at me, I'm shining, what's important to me? Because that is how you build a resonance with people that they want to hire you and they want to work with you or they want to listen to you, right? You've done a brilliant job at that, Daniel. You've talked about what's important to you and people have gravitated towards you and your podcast because they want to learn more about that. So I think that's the key on that aspect, right? And then what you said about your brother, brilliant, because here's the thing. This is a big takeaway for everybody. The number one thing in marketing, right, is if somebody you trust says they like it, you are very likely to purchase or, or like it yourself, okay? If I say I like working this company, you're more likely to apply to it. If I say that this is somebody you should date and you trust me, then you're more likely to date that person. If I say that I think that this person who applied might be a good fit for our company and and he reached out to me and here's what he said and here's why, that hiring manager is way more likely to listen to that than even if you applied to them directly. So if you can build that relationship, if you can build that trust and rapport quickly or even over time, and it ends up paying off, that's what they always say. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Why is that? Because when people like you and trust you, they're going to go to bat for you. And that can be the most 
influential thing that can happen in terms of you getting a job or not? The one thing that I used to do early in my career where I didn't have a network and I didn't have a personal brand is I used to like take the job description because I knew the hiring manager wrote the job description and whatever they cared about in that job description, I used just wrote word for word of what I did for each of those things that they cared about in my resume. So when they got my resume, it was like, oh, he could check that box. He checks that box. He checks that box. I think a lot of people just like hand in a resume, like going above and beyond and personalizing your resume for like that role that you're going for because that hiring manager's writing that job description. Because I know as a hiring manager, when I used to hire, I wrote the job description. I knew exactly what I wanted. And if a resume came through my desk, then it was like, okay, box check, box check. At least I'll look at the person and like give them a chance because they they've checked all the boxes so that's one way to get your resume to stand out in front of everybody is tailor because also like the the person who's screening or sourcing or is looking exactly what that person that's that the hiring manager to you too yeah, yeah is looking exactly what the hiring manager it's a brilliant take we do a lot of advising here both of our customers and our candidates and it's it's the same thing that we train our people to talk to the candidates about you is a fluid concept when it comes to your resume at the end of the day do not falsify anything on your resume. But to your point, I've advised people, like some people want to be in project management, program management, business analysis, and operations, okay? You should have a resume that's curtailed to each of those specific disciplines, and then your resume, the work you've done, how it applies to that. So I totally agree with you. I think it's important to look at the job you want, look through their job description, and say, this is what I've done that applies to this. You know what? Actually, I wasn't talking a lot about that. And I did a lot of that in this job because that's what happens, right? When you try to create a catch-all resume that just tries to capture all your experience, it's either going to be 14 pages long or you're going to leave information out that actually is super relevant to the job you're applying for. So my take would be be strategic about it. Take the time to look at that job description, understand the company and what they value. Have your resume exemplify that. Don't falsify it, but exemplify what you've done and how it applies. And to your point, it's going to resonate with the hiring manager, but here's the even bigger one. Most of these big companies have HR people or recruiters screening your resume. Let's just be honest. They don't understand the job as well as the hiring manager. So what are they doing? They're buzzword matching. They're looking for keywords. They're seeing how many times a word appears in your resume. That's not their fault. They're not supply chain managers or they're not VPs of technology. They're recruiting their HR. They're using your resume as a basis to make sure that you go, that they 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 put qualified people in front of the hiring manager. And by the way, one of the worst things a recruiter can do is put somebody unqualified in front of a hiring manager. So if all they have to work on is your resume, you want to make sure that you've curtailed it in a way that is, like you said, I, I love that you take it word for word in the job description. As long as you're not falsifying anything, I think that's the right thing to do because it'll stand out to them and then it'll get you in the opportunity to interview. And that's really what it comes down to. Once you get through that first gatekeeper and that first door, now it's up to you to interview for the role. And I would even add, you should be looking at that job description and having your answers convey what you've done with regards to those responsibilities that they listed as important in the job. In the yeah, job. I, I'm not saying people falsify, please don't falsify. No, 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 and I, but I do think that everything a job, like you can tailor or wordsmith to align to that. So like if you say project management, you could have said like, hey, I manage my personal projects X, Y, and Z, and this is how I manage them, and this is what I do. Like, or if I like this thing to do, like most of the time, people want to get like eighty percent of what they want because they know they a lot of them are like 
I mean, you guys probably do this too, but it's like a lot of them is like hiring managers, like necessities. Then it's like wants, and then there's like dreams. So it's like, like, so if you hit the necessities, then people like you could be in some of the wants and some of the dreams and you still could get the job, but like necessities at first then wants a dream. Also, one thing that I've been seeing a lot on LinkedIn that I don't think people should be doing is I think you should, like, if you just got laid off or something like that or something, don't put, like, I'm looking for a job on your, like, profile picture because it's not because, like, I, I love that LinkedIn did that for people, but it's because, like, it's bad to say, but people want people they can't have usually. And it's a marketing tactic and it's like scarcity in the market. Like they want people that they don't want to have. So supply demand, they want, it's just a mental thing that people, so that's peacocking in the wrong way. When you do that, just tailor your resume and make it great. And then reach out to people and say like, or reach out to your network independently. I, do, I think like being laid off puts like questions in people's minds, even though it's not a bad thing. It happens all the time. You can tell a story, but let you tell a story to the hiring manager in that interview instead of the story being made up in the hiring manager's head when you put it online. I totally agree with you. I don't know what the data would say on that, but subjectively, I totally see what you're saying. When people are looking at that, they people want what they can't have a lot of the time. Sometimes people put bad connotations on people that were laid off or available. It's not fair but it's part of life and it's, it's, it's out there. And so I think people should really take that into consideration. And I know what you're talking about when you have their little profile photo and it says open to work or things like that. Here's what I would do. I would create the best profile possible without putting any of that kind of indicators there right off the bat. And then maybe within the context of your profile, you may say something open to hearing about dream opportunities, dream company, whatever it might be, right? Like you might have a little tagline in there, and don't make it like the main fe- it's a, the main feature of who you are and what you're about. I, I totally agree with you on that. And I think at the end of the day, if you create the right profile, you don't have to say anything. People are going to reach out to you. If they think you're a good fit for what they're working on, you're going to hear from them. So I, I do agree with you. I think it can be more counterproductive than it can be actually helpful for people. The analogy I give her is like if you were on a dating profile and was like, you're saying open for a date, like on the date. Obviously, you're open for a date because you're looking for a date on a dating profile. Obviously, like a great point. Just the, 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 let the profile stand out for yourself. Like you don't need it to like have a thing in your profile that says, "Yeah, I'm open today." Like obviously, or even worse. Imagine if you're on Tinder and it's like, "Yeah, I just got out of six really bad short term relationships." Like, oh boy, like that. No one's gonna is a swipe right or swipe left. I've never even done it, which is the good one. Anyway, I don't think you should be that overt. I think that everybody wants a little bit of mystery. Everybody wants to learn about you. Everybody wants to feel like there's a little bit of kind of hit the way this sounds but like predator prey like it's a little bit like the chase is something that when you're bringing in people to your organization you want to feel like you brought in somebody that others couldn't attain and things like that so i think it is important to convey this level of i'm somebody worth having and i'm somebody that's interesting and i'm somebody that's a great fit and sometimes if you're too overt about that it can be counterproductive so what is a HR recruiting hill that you would die on? I think that every company is a people company, right? And what I mean by that is like American Express is not a financial services credit card company. John Deere is not a tractor company. Target's not just a retail company. Everything they do is built by people. Their great sales model, their technology, everything they do is people-based. And yet 
a lot of times when we're looking and evaluating companies, we're looking at the financials, we're looking at all these different things to forecast future projections on how successful a company is going to be. And to me, what we should be evaluating and looking at is people. People are so impactful to the bottom line. Whether you have A players or C players is the difference between being number one and number 10 in your industry. And so I think people realize this, but I don't necessarily know we always put the time and attention and resources to hiring and developing and retaining that we should, because I don't think CEOs and CFOs always make that connection about how financially impactful it is. Now, what's interesting, you're seeing in Wall Street quarterly calls, they're starting to bring the chief people officer or the chief human resources officer into those calls, much like they bring the COO and the CFO and the CEO to talk about attrition and tenure and some of these kind of baseline uh, human capital metrics, because that does matter to where your company is going and what the impact is going to be. I got to tell you, I've been doing this for 12 years now, and I almost felt like I was screaming into an, a, a vast echo chamber that nobody was listening to, right? Where it was like, how are we not spending more time hiring people properly, bringing in the right fits to our company? How do we develop and retain them? So to me, I think HR, it's incumbent upon them to show the financial value and impact of being really good at hiring or really bad at hiring, the financial impact of keeping people, the tenure and the attrition, and how we develop our people. If you can take those three areas and only be good at those three areas as a company, you'll be a billion-dollar company, no matter what else you're doing in other areas of the organization. And so I just wish CEOs and CFOs were not so focused on the ones and zeros. They're focused on the Jimmys and the Joes and the Janes. I think if you focus there, I think you're going to have a really, really successful company. I mean, they do this consciously but they don't think about people on this they always when you when people do that they'll when they do headcom planning and stuff like that they'll be like okay i have this much budget because i expect this much revenue to come from these people so they really have like an art like expected revenue from each employee so if you think about that like you're investing on that but if you invest in someone who's great that expected revenue you could have 5x revenue or you can have 20x revenue. So if you ever get a great person, it could be 20, 30x, 40x revenue. So that's one thing, hiring great things. And the other part is like losing people is negative, like ROI. So like the cost of doing that, the cost of losing, the cost of rehiring, the cost of going through the process again, the cost of training. People don't think of those two metrics. And I think we talked about this in the last podcast, but there needs to be some sort of model like. MBA sports type stuff of like some people are going to bring 30x to the organization like they are those players that you need to bring on and market rate can decide that because you're not going to be able to do do that so I think one like if your baseline is two to three x because that's what you think you're hiring two three x like if you put more investment into it and then they get you five to ten x there's a, a better thing. Like if you're paying more than market, your company will be better. You'll bring bringing more. Obviously, you need to make revenue to do this, but it's just a thought process I've been thinking about of like that ROI of each employee. I, I think with people analytics, like we're going to start to see more, make this more quantifiable over time, right? It's just like you said, if you hire a 10x person and you're paying them 150% of market, isn't that a good deal? Isn't that good return on investment? Isn't that a good way to look at things from a financial perspective. And then to your point, you're, you're absolutely right. Losing somebody, having to rehire and retrain them costs companies thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars every year. 
And we don't really look at it from that perspective. It's like, oh, somebody left. We got to backfill them, move on. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the process. And it becomes like this manufacturing line. I also think one thing is, let's say you hire an A plus person, but they're disengaged. They're not productive. They don't feel invested in. They don't feel valued. Well, now your A plus player is a B minus player. How does that impact things, right? How does that impact productivity? How does that impact capacity? And do you need to hire more because of that? So I just think it's so important that not only do we put a lot of resources into hiring the best people we can, but then when they get there, developing them and engaging them and retaining them. And again, if you're just doing those three things well, I'm telling you, you got a company that can really change the face of your industry. Um, but I don't know that it's looked at that way. Also, I think I saw something that like, if you put like like a B player like next to the, the A player, like their their performance is like 15 to 20% higher. So like, it's not only the fact that they're doing and you're like directly as an, a contributor, they're also affecting the employees around them to bring up the, the level of who they are. So I think that's important to think about as well. Last thing I have for you is where could people find you? How could people find what you're doing? I'll give you a couple minutes to talk. Yeah, I appreciate that. So uh, you can find me at on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably where I'm most prolific from a social media perspective. Um, Oz Rashid, O-Z-R-A-S-H-I-D. It's on LinkedIn. You can, you know, this is what my profile picture looks like. We have a couple websites, talentmsh.com that you can check out. Also, aonhire.com, A-E-O-N-H-I-R-E.com. You can learn about our software where we think we're going to revolutionize hiring for the better. So I'd love anybody to check that out. We have a job description generator on there. You brought that up earlier. Um, if somebody needs a free job description or they want to just you know put in some skills, they can put that in there and generate it and it's emailed right to you. So that's something I would welcome people to check out and give us feedback on. And then lastly, I have a podcast that you brought up called Higher Learning, H-I-R-E uh, Learning. So a little bit of a pun there. Um, and really what we do is we interview C-level and VP level executives in startups, large companies, founders, and ask them, what do you do that makes you great at hiring? We ask them things like, what's your favorite question to ask? Uh, how do you create a great candidate experience? Tell us about a memorable interview experience. And then we also learn a lot about them. I really enjoyed our conversation. I got to learn so much about you and your background in athletics and moving from San Diego to Austin and all the different things. So I really, really think it's a great opportunity to learn about people that we might not otherwise know about. So I would welcome everybody to check that out. It's on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to a podcast. Well, thank you for joining. This has been great. And if you want to learn more about hiring, recruiting, and how to do it, follow us. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.